We're going to be looking today at Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. We've just encountered Jesus rebuking Peter. Uh, After Peter has confessed that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Christ, but as Jesus began to describe the suffering and rejection that he was going to get, uh, Peter rebuked him and in turn got rebuked by Jesus. And now we come to this uh, revelation of the glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. A few weeks ago, Sarah and I were drinking coffee in the morning. And of course, we were still in our pajamas and robes. And I asked her, would you please take Virginia, or would you take Virginia to school in your pajamas and robe? Now, she said that she would, and I said that if I ever did that, that I would surely have an accident and be standing on the side of the road, the road in my pajamas and robe. But when I asked her, would you take Virginia to school in your pajamas and robe, I was really asking her to do that very thing. And I assumed that she understood that. She, on the other hand, assumed that I was simply asking a theoretical question about is it within the realm of possibility that she would ever do such a thing. So when it came time to take Virginia to school, I was surprised that Sarah got up and announced that she was going upstairs to get ready for the day, which included taking a shower. I thought that she had agreed to take Virginia to school. And so she had not agreed to that, so I took Virginia to school. But I did change into regular clothes. Assumptions can sometimes get in the way of our understanding of what a person means. And it happens all the time. Surely uh, everyone has an anecdote like the one I just told you about how there was miscommunication because someone... Uh, did not understand exactly what you were saying or what you meant. Sometimes assumptions and presuppositions come in and they skew uh, how we interpret what a person says. 
And the more off base the assumptions are, the more we misinterpret the meaning of what they're actually saying. Now this is what's happening to the disciples in chapters 8 and 9. Back in chapter 8, as we mentioned before, we saw Peter rightly recognize Jesus as the Messiah. You are the Christ, he says. But in the next instance, he's being rebuked because he rebukes Jesus for saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed. You see, Peter and all the disciples had the assumption and presupposition that A, God would send a liberator into the world who would be a powerful ruler and B, if they would be worthy or, or uh, faithful to him, uh, he would put them in a place of power in this new administration that was coming in. And as soon as the Messiah shows up on the scene, this was supposed to happen. This is something that they had been taught their entire lives. Now, of course, they'd rightly identified Jesus as the Messiah, and now they're looking forward to their place of power and position in Christ's kingdom. If you look at verse 34, down a few verses beyond what we read, we see the disciples there arguing about who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom that's coming. You see, the disciples have a grid for how God's salvation will work. And that grid did not include Jesus coming and dying the Messiah sacrificing his life. That was not part of what they had always understood the Messiah would do. And because they had this false assumption about the Messiah, this presupposition about the nature of what he came to do, no matter what Jesus tells them, they listen to it through this grid of presuppositions and assumptions, and then they discard or simply miss Whatever Jesus says that doesn't fit into that grid. So they like to hear about Christ's kingdom and his rule, but they do not, they cannot fathom what he means by death and resurrection. They discard it or simply miss it. If you look at verse uh, 31, it says, He was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. That's exactly what I'm saying. They could not even fathom what he was talking about because it did not fit into their paradigm about the Messiah. They couldn't understand Jesus when he talked about dying and rising. It didn't fit their preconceived notions. They could hear, hear anything else that fit into their paradigm, but if it didn't fit, they just could not understand it. Now, the same is true of us in relationships with one another, like what I just gave you, the example of Sarah and myself. Uh, but it's also true of our relationship with Jesus. We can come to him with certain assumptions and presuppositions and preconceived notions that maybe we've even held our entire life, that we've been taught from childhood, and these might be faults, and they may prevent us from grasping what God's Word says to us. I'll give you an example, the, uh, a prime example. This time of year, you know, we, we, we just sang about the wise men. But the Bible doesn't say that the wise men came to the manger at all. Uh, but every 
nativity scene you see includes the wise men. It says in the Bible that they actually came to a house where Joseph and Mary were living. And the Bible nowhere tells us that there were three wise men, but it's just been handed down to us through tradition. Now, having these little uh, errors in our belief system and you know, we actually have a nativity scene right in the front door of our house that has the wise men there uh, at the manger. Now, that's not going to cause any kind of uh, massive misunderstanding about the nature of who Jesus is and, and what he came to do. But if you hold wrong ideas about the person and work of Christ and, and the nature of his work on the cross, then that can really lead you to a whole host of wrong beliefs and error. Now, the point I want to make to us today from this account before us of the transfiguration of Jesus is this. Well, just look, first of all, at the transfiguration itself. It's an amazing, a dazzling effort on Jesus to break through the grids that the disciples have, the three disciples so that they can understand truly who Jesus is and what he came to do, and they can grasp what he's trying to say to them, especially when he talks about his death and resurrection. He's trying to break through that with this revelation of his glory, and we'll see more about that in a moment. Jesus is is literally... uh, There's a metamorphosis, that's the word that's used. A metamorphosis happens. He has changed. The the form that he is in is is changed and he's transformed into a, a glorified body. And Peter, James, and John see Christ's glory and the voice of the Heavenly Father says, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. See, the disciples weren't really listening to him. They could not hear what he's saying because they had false assumptions about the nature of Christ's work. So God is saying, look, listen to him. Understand what he's saying. Dwell on those words. Embrace them and seek to gain knowledge of these words. Drop all your assumptions and presuppositions and preconceived notions and just listen to what he's actually saying. And that speaks to us today, and that's the point I want to make, to listen to Christ. That's the sum total of the point that I want to make today. Listen to him. Drop the assumptions and preconceived notions and really listen to what Jesus is actually saying. To be a follower of Christ means that we have to be good listeners. And you may think, well, okay, that's easy enough. But it's not that easy when we think about the communication problems that we can have. First thing that we need to understand is that this means not only that, okay, we hear Jesus' word, but it, it means that he has intellectual authority over us. He has authority, and, and we will find it easier to accept that, yes, he has authority over, over what we say and what we do, but he also has authority, being God, over what we think and what we are to believe. It's very popular in our day and time to pick and choose what we want to believe from the Bible. A lot of people do that in our day and time. I like this over here, but I don't like that. To be a follower of Christ, you cannot have that attitude. You cannot do that. You have to come to him and submit to his authority in all things, including what you think and what you believe. 
And his word is the rule. So it means, first of all, to listen to Jesus means that we have to grant him intellectual authority over us. Also, we have to understand that to listen to Jesus means that we can't think that we've listened just because we have acknowledged that he is the authority in our lives. You look at Peter and James and John. They were followers of Christ. They acknowledged that Jesus was indeed the Christ. They said, yes, we follow him. But they did not understand his word. Uh, they really didn't hear and understand what he was saying to them. There's more to it than just agreeing that the word is authoritative, but we must patiently study and listen to his teaching, all, always assuming that there's more to get. And there is. Any, anyone who's done a, even a little bit of study of Scripture knows that you can study a passage over and over again and you can find new things in it, always fresh and exciting and, and things that will apply, things that you didn't see before. God's word is very rich. The transfiguration is all about us listening to him. And the transfiguration gives us three reasons why we should listen to Jesus. And that's three points I want to make to you today. Three quick points. Why should we listen and make this effort to, to make him our intellectual authority, to submit to his teaching, and to embrace it, uh, dwell on it, seek it out, turn it over in our minds, reflect on it, and seek to put it into practice. Three reasons. First of all, we must listen to him because he is glory. Second, because we must listen to him because he is the way into the presence of glory. And finally, we must listen to him because he is glorifying his people. Transfiguration is a a great revelation of glory. We should listen to Christ first of all because he is that glory. He is God. Uh, when Jesus uh, appears to them in this transfigured state, it tells us that Jesus is not simply a great man, but he is deity himself. If you go back to the Old Testament, when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, uh, he led them to Mount Sinai, and there he, he gathered them together, and he formed a relationship with them. He descended on Mount Sinai in a cloud of glory, and he made this covenant with them, a relationship with them. And he actually met the elders of Israel and Moses on Mount Sinai, just like Jesus does here with the disciples. God revealed his glory to the elders and Moses on Sinai, and this revelation of his glory was astounding. Immediately after that, God had them build the tabernacle where God's presence dwelt and where God's people could, could meet with God. And when they built that tabernacle, the presence of God represented by the Shekinah glory came down and God led them by that cloud. Now, the transfiguration is clearly a parallel to what happened in the Exodus. Now he's calling his disciples up into the mountain, and the glory cloud appears before them just like it did at Sinai. Now, in Exodus 34, when God appears to Moses in Mount Sinai, 
gives him the Ten Commandments and makes the covenant with him. It tells us that Moses' face shone and it was so bright and scared the people so bad that he had to wear a veil over his face because he was reflecting God's glory to the people. But in the account today, it's not that that Jesus is reflecting the glory. The glory is emanating from him. His clothes became a dazzling white. And it, and it tells us there that it's a brilliance that no human power could produce. You couldn't bleach anything to make it as white as that. I bleached some shirts this past week trying to get them to whiten up because they looked dingy and old. And it didn't work very well. I don't know what's wrong with my washing machine. But to think of uh, what they're saying here is, you know, if you bleach something, it can be white. This is beyond even that. This is so glorious that you couldn't even produce this by the greatest bleach in the world. Now, this reference to a brilliance that no one in the world could produce shows that his glory is divine. It comes from him, comes from within him. Jesus is re- revealed to be the very glory of God, and that's exactly what the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews says about him. In verse 3 of chapter 1 of Hebrews, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. We read John chapter 1 this time of year, uh, especially verse 14, and that's exactly what John's referring to. Uh, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled even among us. That's the word there. And we have seen his glory. John's writing. John was on the mountain. When did John see his glory? This was the greatest manifestation of it. And he says, we have seen his glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we should listen to Jesus because he is God. And the transfiguration shows us that. But we should also listen to him because he is the way into the presence of the glory of God. The disciples' sight of Jesus' glory shows that not only that he is God, but he is the way to approach the unapproachable glory of God. Now, we talked about the tabernacle a moment ago, and Exodus 40 tells us that after Moses had gotten the instructions about building the the tabernacle, and they built it, and then they put it all together and put it up because it was a mobile uh, mobile tent where they worshipped God, it says the cloud, the glory cloud, covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Man cannot stand to be in God's glorious presence, and God actually says that and prevents Moses, who longed to see God's glory, says, you can't see my glory. No man can see my glory and live. But here we are, the disciples see the glory of God. In Jesus. Jesus, as it were, is the new tabernacle uh, through whom we experience the very presence of God that Moses was denied. Mark says here implicitly what John says explicitly in John 1.14. The Word became flesh and tabernacled, you know, dwelt among us. The word there is tabernacled. He became the tabernacle for us, the place where man and God could meet. And come together. Jesus is that tabernacle. Now, when you look at Moses and Elijah being there, 
that's symbolic as well and also points us to the fact that we can have access to God's glory. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law represented by Moses and the prophets represented by Elijah. Both Moses and Elijah, they had visions of the glory of God on mountains. And here they are uh, on the mountain with Jesus speaking to the glorified Jesus. Jesus is really the one to whom all their experience and revelation pointed. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies. You know, we, we had our carol service last weekend, and we read some of the prophecies about Jesus coming into the world from Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. And, and uh, there are many others that we reflect upon at this time of year. Jesus fulfills all those prophecies, and there are many more prophecies about not only his birth but about his death as well that we read in the old testament christ fulfills all those he also fulfills the law not only did he perfectly keep the moral law but he is the fulfillment of the ceremonial law he is the tabernacle as we've said he's the temple he's the the great high priest he's the sacrifice for sin all those things point to him you know he's not the he, he's not the shadow of those things. He's not a reflection of that. He's the pattern. Those things are pointing to him. They're a shadow of something greater to come. And Christ fulfills all those things. And Moses being there on the temple when his glory is revealed shows that. The way to come into God's presence is through Christ. He's the mediator. And the transfiguration shows us that. Peter, James, and John behold God's glory that no man was allowed to see. And they do that. They, they encounter that on the mountain there with Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah. So it's very important to listen to him. If he's the way that man who has a void in his life that can only be filled by God, the only way to the, only way to the Father is through Christ. The only way... To know him in a personal relationship is through Christ. So we must listen to him. And that's what the Father is saying to the disciples here. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. He's the way of salvation. Now finally, we need to listen to him because he is not only the glory, he is the way to experience that glory and to come into the presence of the glory but he's also glorifying his people. That which he demonstrates on the mountain there is going to be true of his people as well. We will have glorified body. Paul has a passage in 2 Corinthians 3 where he talks about that episode where Moses has to wear a veil over his face. And he says about uh, you know, the, the people who have not accepted Christ that a veil remains over their eyes and their hearts, and they can't understand who Christ is and, and what he came to do. But it says in verse 16 of chapter 3 of Second Corinthians, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, metamorphosis, it's the same word that's used on the Mount of Transfiguration about what happened to Jesus. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So when, when Christ comes into your life, He begins a work of transformation, transfiguration. We're going to be just like He is now. And He was, as He revealed Himself on the mountain to the three disciples. This is something important for those disciples to know. Because they're all about the glory. You know, they are ready to, they're ready to reign. You know, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus is going to run all the bad guys out and restore Israel to his greatness. That's what they're thinking. But Jesus keeps talking about dying and suffering and being rejected. And that doesn't enter into their paradigm. And so they're not listening to him. They needed to hear this. They needed to understand this. That yes, there is glory to be had. But the next episode, they're going to come down on the mountain and they're going to fail to be able to cast out a, a demon from a boy. And they're going to say, why couldn't we do this? You know, we, we were just on the mountain. And Jesus says, look, it's, not, it's, it's harder than you think. You, these, these only come out with fasting and prayer. We need to understand when things get discouraging, when the Christian life is hard, when we feel like giving up, when... It seems like all the glory that's promised is not going to happen. We need to remember that, yes, it's coming. God is doing that work in his people. But in the meantime, there's difficulty, there's pain, there's suffering, there's sacrifices that need to be made. And he points us to Elijah. They start asking about Elijah and this prophecy that we read earlier about Elijah coming and restoring all things and and Jesus says, yes, the, the scribes are right when they say that Elijah must come. And he came. He was John the Baptist. And what happened to him? He was beheaded for standing up for the truth. He was sacrificed because he was faithful to God. Elijah has come. And he's just another example of the Christian life, the difficulties of it. Yes, there's glory to be had. And God is doing that work in us. But we've got to listen to him. We've got to listen to him because, hey, yes, he's going to bring us glory and we need to be sure that we get there as we follow his instructions and submit to him, but also be encouraged that in the meantime, there is some difficulties. We live in a difficult world and God is with us and he's going to walk down the mountain with us and minister side by side with us and he's going to leave us to be his witnesses all over the world, but he's going to come again in glory. And as we celebrate Christmas, we think of his first coming, but we also look forward, as Nick read to us earlier, that we look forward to his second coming and to that day when we are glorified and we see his glory revealed. In the meantime, I want to encourage you with Romans 12, 1 and 2 as we conclude. Paul said this, and he uses that same word, transformed transfigured i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of god what is good and acceptable and perfect so to listen to him we must present ourselves to him and say i'm yours lord I give myself to you, a living sacrifice. And then we listen to him. 
That's the only way that we can be transformed, as Paul said, from one degree to another. Transformed as our mind is renewed, as we embrace his word and listen to it and grasp it, and it becomes part of us. So important to hear and listen to his word. Peter reflected in his last letter upon uh, the, the transfiguration. And he said it in the context of telling people, I want to keep reminding you of these things and reminding you of these things and reminding you of what the Bible says. And he says this, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. He said, you know it already, but you need to keep listening to it. You need to keep thinking about it. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So he's going to die. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to at any time to recall these things. See, he's encouraging them to listen to Jesus, to keep listening, to keep remembering, to keep dwelling on it. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't make this up, he says. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... And the voice, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter himself heard it, and he's, he's saying, Look, we heard it, we listened, we shared it with you, and we want you to listen as well. And I'm going to keep reminding you of that over and over again, because we can have to continuously put down our... our presuppositions, our false assumptions and preconceived notions that get in the way of us truly understanding who Jesus is and what he came to do for us. May the Lord help us to have ears to hear what he says to us. Let's pray together.